Will This Be On The Test Teacher Pod is a podcast by, for, and about teachers. It's not a place where we discuss rigor or teaching methods or sell lesson plans. It's simply a safe space for teachers to share their stories, frustrations, and triumphs, and for our listeners to realize, episode after episode, that they're not alone. Will This Be On The Test Teacher Pod is sometimes funny, sometimes disturbing, but always honest. Welcome to Will This Be On The Test Teacher Pod, two teachers explore the realities of education. This week, we will be speaking to a former international teacher who has taught in, I think, three different countries and is doing something completely different now. I'm Yo Miss. And I'm Miss V. How is everybody today? We are good, good. You know, I wanted to bring up that I know we talk about food a lot on our podcast because we love food. So I made a discovery this week of something that I think can be used maybe in either like a fruit salad situation or an alcohol situation. So I wanted to bring it to everybody's attention. (laughs) I had a uh, medical procedure this week that went fine. Everything's fine, but I couldn't eat anything the day before other than clear stuff. So I had to eat Jell-O and Jell-O is like, I'm not a Jell-O girl. Like I'm not, you know, if I'm going to have dessert, it's going to be ice cream or brownies, you know? So, but I had no choice and I, I ate the Jell-O I made the day before, like for breakfast. So I had none left. So I had to send Scotty to the store to get Jell-O. And he brought back Fanta Pineapple Jell-O. Okay. It's little snack packs. Now, those of you who are Fanta fans, you know, know that it's, it's a thing that's very good to mix with alcohol because it's super sweet. So like my son Mm -hmm. still mourns the fact that they no longer make uh, lemon Fanta because he used to like to mix that. But this pineapple jello is delish. It's really, really good. You can't make it in large quantities, but I was thinking it comes in these little snack packs. If you wanted to sort of make larger jello shots, you could like inject vodka into them kind of, you know, <laughs> with one of those like droppers, you know, you could put that in there. Or you could have it be as like, you know, something in a fruity salad or whatever, but highly recommend it. You know, we still have one or two left. So maybe later on we can try it. We have one. And so we'll have to wrestle. We'll have to fight over it. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Excuse me. I'll be right back. Yeah. (laughs) Post a picture so we can all see if the vodka in fact stayed inside. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, well, I I don't think Jello is terribly porous. Yeah, Jello is a colloid, actually. <laughs> okay. Oh, thank God I know that. Yes, yeah, so it's important to know that. So <laughs> you can inject things into it because it has little globules, and and the vodka should oh go on to the little globules of Jello. You so know, that's my you story. You know a lot about Jello. I yeah I when I was teaching and I had to teach like about sciencey things, I would bring in snacks that went with like the different mixtures and things I was teaching. So. I brought in right. when Makes we learned sense. colloids. So that's my news of the week. How are you, Miss V? What's going on? I am good. When I was in high school forensics, I did an informative speech about gel, the history of Jello, actually. So there's that. What, did that. what did that have to do with forensics? So what it has to do with forensics is in forensics, there are two different categories of types of speeches. There's like dramatic where there's more acting style or there's informative and you're, you can do like broadcasting or speeches and stuff. So I gave an informative speech on oh. the history of Jell-O. 
I was thinking of forensics, like forensic science. Like, oh, yeah. You know, no, and I was like, does, was Jello at the scene of the crime? Like, I didn't quite understand what was happening there. So. <laughs> well, I could have given a lot shorter explanation of it. <laughs> well, so I was going to say, it's good that you started the topic about food because the last episode, I promised to post my refrigerator pickle recipe yes. on Substack. And I haven't done anything on Substack. Because no. At work, we have been working on this like huge project and it's related to teachers. So I figured I'd kill two birds with one stone here. So if you have watched or if you follow on Facebook, the board teachers page, they just post mm -hmm. memes and stuff. Well, they have a comedy tour now yes. of teachers that kind of made it, quote unquote, made it big, I think via TikTok during COVID. Mm -hmm. And I think they have, I don't know, 10, 15 people, but they rotate who is at each show and they mm -hmm. came to Kalamazoo. Oh, wow. We found out a little bit early because my coworker works at the theater. So we, we sort of partnered with the show and did a big event before the show, like a happy hour for our members in our area. Nice. And it was just insane. Like we tried to like limit the RSVP. Well, not limit. We had an RSVP time period in which teachers just like kind of ignored. And then the week of the event, they were calling and emailing like, I, all my friends are coming. I didn't know. I want mm. to come. The link didn't work. I promise I turned mine in on time. I don't know why you don't have it. All, ironically, all the things that teachers hate that students do. <laughs> um, they did that all week to us. And so we laughed about that all week. But so we did that first and then we went to the show we have tons of prizes and stuff and it was really fun and huge the show sold out but it was exhausting and I did nothing this week but work on that at work and then like fall asleep at home <laughs> I have a question for you was the guy who's like a preschool teacher was he there I don't think so I actually didn't know I don't know any of them okay. or anything there's one guy, I think his name is William Spreck, maybe. I might be getting that wrong, but I think that's his name. He's a preschool teacher. He is hilarious. Like, I, like, really do laugh out loud when I see his stuff. It's just very, very funny. He's very good. We saw four, there were four comedians, and I, they were all funny, but I thought they would just be, like, all full-on, like, teacher school jokes, mm -hmm. and they all kind of went, they didn't just stay on that topic which I'm sure is smart business yeah. move, but I don't know that I kind of wanted more because on those little TikTok tack snippets, they're always like teacher, teachery things. And so I kind of wanted more of that. I will also say that teachers might be the easiest audience for comedians because sometimes the jokes are kind of just like, eh, and the place just roared with laughter. And I blame elementary teachers who have to fake laugh at dumb jokes all day long. <laughs> and mm -hmm. adult comedy is like rip roaring fun to them. It was, it was fun. But um, also teachers, you will not be shocked to hear drink like nobody's business oh, yeah. and the board teachers tour told the state theater before they came like fyi our crowds get quite tipsy just to be aware they get quite loud and mm -hmm. and that happened because teachers don't get out enough and then when they do they booze it up <laughs> i'll tell you i am i'm not a huge drinker but over the past 
month or so, I've been reconnecting with like some of my teacher friends that I hadn't seen in a while. And like, we went out and it's like, okay, let's drink, let's have martinis. You know, it's like, it's automatically, as soon as I'm with the teacher, it's like, okay, this is what we do. You know? Yeah. yeah. So, it was that sounds fun though. Here. So I it was, and this was Thursday night. So it was fun to be with a group of people who kind of had this collective, like exhaustion. Everyone kind of was in it at the sign-in table. If people were confused, we were like, no judgment, it's testing week. And everyone was like, oh, testing week. So it was just fun to hang out with hundreds of people who are all like in the same boat and having the same struggle. And we gave away prizes like, you know, who's had bodily fluid on you this week that doesn't belong to you? And like everybody's hands went up or like, you know, <laughs> who had to proctor a test this week and had one kid, you know, ask a dumb question, you know, everybody's hands went up. So that was fun. It was really fun. But here's what I want to know. Did they ask you to join the tour? Because you're hilarious. Oh my gosh. Of course they did not. Well, actually, we didn't even get to meet any of the people. So oh, that's they didn't bullshit. even they didn't even have a chance to see what I have to offer. Oh well, you know, <laughs> if they had, I'm sure right. this would have I'm been sure. your last episode. And obviously I wouldn't even be here right now. I'd be off. Right. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> exactly. We have Jessica Graham with us today. Jessica is in Europe right now. So we're excited because we're feeling very international right now. Mm. And she has taught overseas. She's been an international teacher and since 2021 has been working as a borderless copywriter and brand strategist, specializing in helping female service-based business owners establish and align their brand messaging with their ideal audience, which I, we will have a conversation about that offline because awesome. I, I need to think about that. So, okay. Welcome Jessica to Thank our you. show. Thanks for Thank having me. Okay. So tell us, tell our audience where you are now and let's hear a little bit of your backstory. Okay. Well, now I'm in Liechtenstein. That's how I'll say it here. It's actually Liechtenstein, but we don't make that sound. So, um, and it's a, in case you don't know, it's a tiny little country that borders Switzerland and Austria. Mm -hmm. And we are not using the euro. We're using Swiss francs here. So that's a little, little bit. And we also have a prince and not Ooh. anything else. So, and he <laughs> still has a castle here. So are, are you that's living our in claim the castle? To <laughs> no, I wish. No, clearly not. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually going to go the way of like Princess Diaries as the interview goes. yeah and I ended up here I was teaching in China before this so I started teaching in China in 2018 and just before the pandemic kind of broke out so like end of 2019 my I met this guy and so that's how I came here so he lives here and ah. now he's my husband. So oh. that's how that whole thing happened. So there yeah. is a prince in the story. There <laughs> is. He's ah. just not the prince, but the, he the is. Prince. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's your prince. <laughs> he's okay. my prince. Yeah. Okay. So let's let's back up. Let's back way up. Now, you are you are from the states originally? I am. Yeah, from New Mexico. Okay. Okay, mm -hmm. so how did you end up becoming an international teacher? How did that all, because it sounds great. I mean, it just sounds very cool, but. Yeah, it's one of those like 
weird stories. So when I went to university, I graduated with a history degree as one does, <laughs> which really gets you far. So I graduated <laughs> with this degree. I had been bartending for my whole time during university and continued to do so because I wasn't sure what I was going to do with that. Mm. Fast forward, I started like having some friends of mine saying, yeah, we went to teach in China and it was really cool. And you actually don't have to have a teaching degree and like having that experience. Cause I really wanted to travel and I really wanted to like see the world, but I was so scared to do it myself. So it was just something that had always been in my mind. I did start working with students in classrooms as like a support person. So mm-hmm. they had like behavioral issues or whatever it was. And so I would like be their support buddy for the day. And I was doing that for about a year. Mm-hmm. And I actually have was married before. So my first husband That's was a prince. teacher. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not the prince. Not the prince. The anti-prince. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he was a teacher and he mm-hmm. actually had applied to work in Dubai to teach there. And so we got engaged and through the engagement, he hadn't heard anything back about this job, but then they found out that he was going to get married and bring someone with them. And they were like, well, how could we make this work? Does she happen to be a teacher too? And I wasn't, but I was working in the schools and they thought that was like good enough. And so they offered me (laughs) A kindergarten teaching position. So it was like, if this is handed to me, I'm going to go ahead and take it. Mm -hmm. I had no idea how difficult that was going to be. Um, So first year teaching, no idea what I was doing, working at an international school. So it was like a mix of students. So I had local students and teachers, kids and other expats, kids that went to the school. Yeah. So it was a really tough, tough go, but that's what led me into it. And Mm -hmm. I did that for 10 years. You asked me at the beginning, how many countries and yes, it was three. So I was in United Arab Emirates for seven years teaching. I was in Vietnam for a year and China for two. Does that add up? I think so. Yes, it does. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Now, of all of those experiences, which which was the one you liked the best, which was most difficult, tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, that's a good question. I think all of them are difficult in their own ways, and then all of them are lovely in their own ways, too. So I think, like, teaching internationally is just... It's a different ball game because you're getting used to the culture itself of the new country. You're also getting used to this new culture of the school. And the school itself is also accommodating a lot of teachers from all over the place. So everyone's bringing their own like history of teaching and what learning looks like and their own opinions. And so it's a mix, very multicultural mix that is lovely, but also has a lot of challenges to it. I think culturally, like working United Arab Emirates was difficult because you're always 
needing to be very aware and mindful of your behavior and how you're dressed and how that can be misread by people or what you're saying can be misinterpreted. So those kinds of things added a lot of extra pressure on top of the teaching aspect, like on top of the pressure of just being a classroom teacher. Mm -hmm. But I think, I mean, Asia was also the same, kind of have the same cultural things that you have to get used to that you did not foresee being something that you needed to get used to. So it's always like a mixed bag and a surprise and it builds your resilience more than anything else, I think. <laughs> I have a question. I have a my college roommate actually. She and her husband teach in it's a international school, but it's like a program that has schools all over the world. So they stay within the program, but every so many years they change countries. Mm. But their situation, it seems like they're almost on these like compounds that is, that feels, I mean, everything is in English and it feels very Americanized. And many of their kids are Americans who have been like stationed or are working overseas. And then occasionally some maybe like, like they might be in China, but have children of businessmen and women who are originally from Europe. So it's mostly very Westernized in these even though they might be like they were in Qatar, they were in China. Was that how was yours? Were you in that like compound where you lived and worked or were you living like in the community and then going to work? I was always living in the community and then going to work. So like there's different ways that schools can approach it. Most of like the schools that I I worked at, they all – like they hired the foreign teacher to work there. They usually had an apartment somewhere within the city and then they would just house you there automatically or you got a housing stipend and you could go find your own place. But most of the time we didn't have like a compound where all of us lived there together and you were very much within the community. So yeah. Yeah. And I think That's kind right. of pros and cons because how nice well, mm-hmm. to be kind of submerged in the community and learn about that. But then that, of course, like you said, adds more difficulties because now you are submerged in a different culture. Yeah. And language. Exactly. And I actually think that's like the best part of it, though. I think yeah. there's a di- like if I were just living in another country, but in my still in my own American bubble, I would miss out on a lot of the whole experience of living somewhere else. Yeah. What was the, like the most memorable thing that you had to get used to or the strangest thing that you had to get used to that was, you know, you look back on and say like, wow, that was when I realized I had to do or not do something that was really weird. Yeah. I think moving to UAE because I like fashion and I appreciate being free to wear whatever you want to wear. And then I moved to this place where like you don't have that freedom, especially as a teacher. Cause like if I lived in Dubai and I was just like a normal, like not teacher person, it would be fine. You can pretty much wear whatever you want. But I was always living in more of the local places. So the first place I lived was in where most of the local Emirati people live. Mm -hmm. 
And so it is one of those situations where like, you are going to see your students outside of work as well. And it was like, I think 500,000 people. So it wasn't teeny tiny, but it was small enough. Mm -hmm. And so yes, you had to cover your elbows, you had to cover your knees, you needed to be very modest, nothing tight. But you always had to think of that, like even leaving the house on like your weekend or whatever. I think that was the hardest part getting used to was just like, having to now kind of become someone else almost like that's really what it felt like. Yeah. Especially when it's so hot. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Fewer, fewer clothes. Well, not really, but like at least on my arms and legs. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. So you said you left China just at the tail end of 2019. So. No, I actually, that was like a whole story. So COVID had, So my girlfriend and I went on a holiday and we were traveling through Vietnam. So I actually went back there to see more of it because I was only there for a year. So I missed a lot of it. So we were like backpacking through. I was also very proud of myself because it was the first time that I had ever backpacked and I packed everything in a backpack and I was like, (laughs) wow, I finally did it. And I'm not like taking five suitcases. So we're there and we're traveling around and then COVID breaks out and the first place that closed their border obviously was China. So we weren't able to go back and our flight was canceled, but it was very like, it could open up any day. So we wanted to stay nearby. Mm-hmm. We had some friends in the Philippines. So we went booped over there and was hanging out there. Had to start teaching our students online. So that was like, we're teaching now suddenly from our iPhones because we didn't have our laptops with us or anything mm-hmm. in this place that also did not have trustworthy Wi-Fi at all. So it was like, Suddenly the vacation was no more vacation. This was like very stressful. And like you had a lot of pressure to perform. Like you really still needed to be giving these. And I was teaching kindergarten. So my students were like four and five years old. I was like, what am I doing online with these kids to like, you know? So it was being very creative with what we had. I think we were there for like a week or two and then it became clear that like lots of other places were starting to close their borders too. So we weren't sure what to do. I am not, and this is something that I was thinking earlier that makes me a good candidate for being an international school teacher was that I was not, I love my family, but I'm also not like super, super close. We're not like one of those, like we do everything together and, Mm -hmm. you know, so my friend that I was traveling with is very close with her family. So it was an immediate, like, I'm just going to fly home and be with them and we'll figure this out. And I still was like, I don't know where I'm going to go. And then my prince came and he said, just come (laughs) here. And I was like, yeah, it'll be like two weeks. That'll be nothing. Like, It'll be fine. Well, that two weeks ended up being seven months. I had to, because the visa to be on a tourist visa here only lasts like three months. So I had to ask for a renewal and then another renewal. And in the meantime of being here, I was also um, still teaching my students in China, but having to wake up at like 
one in the morning to mm, yeah. get online with them mm-hmm. and they were all there. So they started like going back in the classroom and I was just on zoom like this. They were like screening me on oh the God. screen <laughs> as they're like in the classroom doing their stuff. It was very bizarre. And I was planning on going back there for another year. I wanted to do three years there, but mm-hmm. Because we couldn't return, they had to cut all of our contracts. So I was very quickly without a teaching job, but at the same time, very relieved because I did not want to keep teaching. I especially didn't want to keep teaching this way with the whole pandemic thing. Mm -hmm. But it also was something that just was not on my radar. Like when I did it to go to Dubai and I know this sounds terrible but I did it in a way because I was like I'm it's an opportunity for me to see the world mm-hmm. plus like maybe I'll like it well yeah. I knew after that first year like I don't think that I like this but I'm gonna do my best at it and try to like it so everything that I did to professionally develop I did it Seriously, I did end up getting my certification. There's mm-hmm. a school in Florida that will, because uh, I already had a bachelor's degree, so I could just do that added mm-hmm. on certification. So I did do that, but it was just something in my mind that I always thought, like, there's no way, like, I can't see myself retiring as a yeah. teacher. Mm-hmm. So I was always looking for like something else. And Blogging was something that I always did on the side, especially when I was traveling. It was like travel blog and this blog. So Mm -hmm. writing was something that I always loved doing. And when I was here during that time, the pandemic time, I had that time to reflect, time to like kind of really see like what it is that you want to do and what Mm -hmm. could be the next thing. And then I discovered copywriting and I was like, this is a thing like you can make money and help people and, you know, make a career out of it. So I just started learning everything that I could about that. But because the visa here was running out and I couldn't stay here and I was unable to find another teaching job within the area, I Mm -hmm. did find one. And it was a great school, actually, that was in Milan, which isn't that far away from here. But I wasn't able to get my visa for the Italian bureaucracy. They were needing me to fly back to the United States and like go to the embassy in person. But at this time, everything was closing. The embassies were closing everything. And I was like, this sounds so risky. Like I and I wouldn't even be flying home. I would be flying to California where I don't know anybody and this whole Mm -hmm. mess. So I had to decline that position, but I was able to go back to UAE. So I did take another job in United Arab Emirates and went there for a year. Mm -hmm. And I just used that year to like prep myself to transition out of the classroom. So there wasn't a lot of fun being had that year, um, but it was good <laughs> because it was the pandemic there still too. And so always, I was in and out of quarantine all the time because if you had a sick student or a sick mm-hmm. colleague that you even had remote contact with, immediate 
quarantine for two weeks. So I was, it was fine. It was perfect because it gave me the space to really like prepare for the next. Yeah. So then, so then you never ended up going back into China. No, I had to have a friend pack up my apartment for me. Yeah. So she, (laughs) that was like the worst part. So I will never backpack again because that just like (laughs) ruined it. But yeah, so I lived out of a backpack for 10 months. Oh, wow. Because they would only ship my things to a place that I was a resident of. So since I wasn't a resident here, I had to wait until wherever I was going to go next to be a resident. So (laughs) thankfully, I had a friend that was still in China So she was able to pack up my apartment for me. She was on Zoom, like holding everything up. Like, do you want this? (laughs) Wow, so terrible. Yeah, and like they couldn't ship liquids. So all of my—I know this sounds dumb—but all of my perfumes and my makeups, like I couldn't even get that stuff back, and it was just like so sad. But um... (laughs) well, I think that would be probably a mess in general. And then, of course, to add all the stuff going on with COVID and flights weren't going and shipping already was a mess. And you know, like- you know, it's so annoying. It's like here where it's like a worldwide emergency, like some of this bureaucratic bullshit should really be let go. Like yes. you can't ship things unless you're a resident. Why? Like, I know. That's just stupid. You know, know. like there's it's you know, it's there's a situation here or like and I've I've dealt with the Italian bureaucracy when my <gasps> daughter went to abroad and yeah it's they're they're not great so you know no. you know and and for them to say to you well you have to go back to your country to get like why I you know. know and we tried so hard that principal of that school shout out to him John Nichols, he was like the nicest guy. He got on Zoom with me and the the HR lady was a local Italian lady. So we had some some things we were trying to discuss and she, he was trying to reason that like, this is a special situation. Is there any way? Because I was right here. So I could have just gone to Italy or I could have gone to wherever they needed me Mm -hmm. to go for this paperwork. But she said, no, there's no way you have to do it in America. So So, yeah, it's so stupid. It's, you know, and it's like, okay, are you in like one of those, however, I don't remember what it's called now, those countries where you can just go like they're borderless, you know, or whatever. Oh, right. Yeah. But if you're not in one of those, then it's during those major, like, you know, huge emergencies like a worldwide pandemic you would think they lack right right well and I think that was the best part of all of this too is it taught a lot of especially like governments that you need to start offering a little more online stuff not Mm -hmm. everything needs to be papers and stamps Mm -hmm. and in person like yeah yeah Let's shift. Well, especially with the level of international travel that we have now, and especially around Europe and Asia, because they are, you know, a little bit closer geographically to each other, to it just feels so antiquated in general when you think about it. But then also during COVID, you'd think they couldn't have just had this like special right. COVID treatment, you know, or like things are different now. So, but 
I mean, look at all the simple things that schools also like refuse to change because of COVID. So I get everyone just tried to keep carrying on the same way, even though it was clearly not possible. Right. They still do. I mean, I I just sent my passport in for renewal and it took them two weeks from the time it got to them because I was tracking it to actually start putting it in the system. And now it's going to be 10 to 13 weeks until I get my passport back. I heard that there was a huge backlog. It's huge. That's crazy. And I got to tell you, I am the daughter of two refugees. I don't sleep well when I don't have a passport. Like I, I really get very, like it makes me very uncomfortable. So I was just like, really? You know, come on, can't we get get the show on the road here (laughs) you know wild uh, I know I lucked out with that I also had to get a new passport but being here and doing it here with the renewal process with the embassy was much faster thankfully so now is your plan to stay there is this where you're Yes, we're married now so um (laughs) as long as he's staying here I'm staying here We'll see what happens. He has a daughter, so we're going to be here until she's grown up at least. But mm-hmm. I would love to. And he's got the travel bug, too. So we do get a bit of travel in. But I think we both would be open to seeing other places to live and digital nomad now, trying. With your business now, you are you working like from home or basically on your own? You could kind of work anywhere. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, so now you had said like, and you know, you're like, that sounds terrible. It doesn't sound terrible. You, to you teaching was a job. It was a means to an end, which we always talk about how teachers don't look at it that way. And that's why they get screwed all the time because they're just, you know, it's, it's a calling it's a, this, you know, so, but I'm wondering if it's something you would ever think about going back to, if you needed to like, support yourself like if you needed to I mean hopefully your business is doing well enough that you don't have to but if you did would you consider that or would you just say like nope I'm done yeah that's a big hard no okay I would I would definitely like there's parts of teaching that I really like like I think like coaching like I enjoy having consultations with my clients when I get on calls with them. Sometimes it ends up being more of a coaching session. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of the teaching side. So if I could just merge the teaching in with the business, sure. But to actually go back into a classroom, no way. I think it's interesting to hear your perspective because you were not a person like some of us who drank the Kool-Aid that teaching is a calling and spent all of college and all of your time just swallowing all the things that were toxic and unhealthy and ridiculous because that's the job and the kids are more important and all the things that we totally knew getting into it, but it was okay because we were there for the kids and blah, blah, blah. And then later as we were like falling apart mentally started to go, what if there's a better way or what other jobs aren't like this? But it's interesting that you didn't, you just went into it as a job. And then to hear you, your sort of objective, like I did that job and I'm not doing it again, you know, because I think teachers stay longer maybe than they should health wise. 
because they've uh, they've swallowed all of those stories about the calling and well that I have to do it for the kids and so I think if any other profession said oh I had this job for 10 years but I I kept trying different companies and it just wasn't quite the right fit and I tried so I started to get a degree or think about something else no one would think anything of it but when you're a right. teacher and you say well I did it nine to five I didn't love it it's like oh those poor children <laughs> When you were, I'm sure, a very good teacher and the kids were fine. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's it's so true, though. But I was I was a good teacher. It was just like you said, it's it just wasn't in my in my blood and it wasn't something that I wanted to keep doing. But I do have a lot of friends who have drank the Kool-Aid and feel very <laughs> stuck. But I will say for anyone who might be interested in going abroad to teach. I think if you are someone who has drank the Kool-Aid and you really enjoy what you're doing and you're passionate about it, moving abroad could be, or doing it abroad could be a good way of expanding that. I think there's like a lot of different opportunities to, I don't know, to serve a school in a different way. Because I think like, And I actually never taught in the States, so I don't know exactly what that looks like, but I've heard the stories and I was sat in the classroom, so I saw firsthand what it kind of could look like. But I think there's a lot of like stuckness, but I think when you can go out, the international schools are usually set up in a way where it's like, we don't have someone for this. Who could we pick? from our pool of people here who might be a good fit for that. So like if you were interested in like doing something different, either administratively or whatever, I think there's a little more opportunity to like move up without all of the bureaucracy that might be involved Mm -hmm. on the state side, but I don't know. Well, Well, something I just thought that I hadn't occurred to me that college roommate of mine, since we graduated and, whenever 2005 or whenever that was she and her husband have probably been in six or eight different countries and never did it occur to me they don't they I don't think they leave a country like but what will the kids do without us I think they just go around and then they put in bids for and now they have children of their own so now they put bids in different places so that their kids are getting this kind of a tour of the world and I think, yeah, like you said, I think they're good at their job and I think they care about their job, but they don't have that baggage of, I have to dedicate my entire life to this district and these families. They just sort of pop around. And that is kind of refreshing when you think of the the stuckness that I think a lot of us feel in America. I guess because teaching was my second career, I was a Wall Streeter first. So I think I sort of had a more pragmatic view of it. I wanted to become a teacher because I wanted to give something back when I was young. I always had wanted to become a teacher. And basically because of my age and whatever, there were no teaching jobs when I was younger because all the men who did not want to go to the Vietnam War became teachers because there was a teacher's Mm -hmm. deferral. So so my parents said like, you're not becoming a teacher because you're not going to get a job. So, okay, thanks. So, but I, you know, I was fine. 
But I do think when, when, you know, and we've talked about this on the show where I definitely was one of those people who said like, there are things I will do for these kids, but there are things I won't do. And I think that's because I came from a different perspective. It wasn't, I wanted to teach. I really liked teaching, but it wasn't, I, I knew it wasn't a calling. Like mm-hmm. the only people who have callings, as far as I'm concerned, are like nuns, priests, like people like that, like, yeah. you know, so it's, I was somewhere but, in the yeah. middle on that. Jessica, I'm curious. And I know without having the U.S. to compare, I'm curious when, in your experience, if you felt like there was an expectation on you to be more to these students than just a teacher, because that's, that's definitely very American that we are their teachers, but also sometimes we're that parent, we put this on ourselves, I think too, but also I think society expects us to attend to mental health and we bring in the food and we are helping kids who don't have clothes and we are blah, blah, blah. And I'm wondering if you felt that same pressure in your experiences. Yes and no. So one of the things is as international teachers, you're working with a socioeconomic class of very high people. So like my kindergarten True. students on average were spending, I think their tuition was like 20000 a year for kindergarten. And so every year it would go up. And yeah. so these parents were spending an enormous amount on their kids' education. So that being said, there wasn't a lot of hunger or, you know, things that yeah. needed tending to in that way, but neglect and emotional needs. Yeah, sure. They definitely, I felt like we were leaning on the counseling side a lot because that was the other part is a lot of the schools that I worked in did not value counseling because of cultural okay. reasons. There's a big cultural yeah. boundary and like, thing around all of yeah exactly so school counseling was not always valued so as teachers we were usually having to fill that role plus there were a lot of stigmas just around any kind of I don't know how to say it correctly but like any kind of behavioral issue that there might have or any kind of like if they might be on the spectrum, anything that normally I feel like you have a place to like refer the student Mm -hmm. to, and then it can kind of go through that. You don't have support like that. So there were so many things that came at you that like you had no, I had no experience in, no knowledge about. And so you're relying on like, other people to support you, but it's always behind the scenes in a way. You can't talk to the parents about it. You can't bring it up to, and that's a very cultural thing. I Mm -hmm. wouldn't say that that's the norm everywhere, but from the places that I was, yeah. Countries that you were in, was there a difference between how the, you know, girls were taught, were treated at school versus boys or, you know, or was it more similar just because it's, there was a big difference. So when I was in the United Arab Emirates, I did go to a very small village for three years. I think there was like, they said 80,000 people lived there, but it never felt like that. So I don't know where that count came, but it was just two local tribes that lived there. And so they operated very different than from the bigger cities where I was before and taught. So 
they had they had separated the boys and the girls at grade three. And then from there, it was very different. Mm -hmm. The girls like culturally, the girls are more well behaved and they value education a lot more and they want to do well. But then it's not really going to go anywhere because by the time they're 18, they're usually engaged to be married and just expected to have babies and really Mm -hmm. no job. Mm -hmm. But so it was interesting. The boys, on the other hand, do have to work or they should work, but they were wild and they're allowed to be wild. And it's just kind of like passed off as like, that's how boys are. So I remember like my first week at that school, I was supporting the grade levels with English support. So I would just pull kids out of the classroom. So I wasn't like managing my own classroom. And I was um, helping some boys out, some boy classes. And one of the boys threatened to kill me because I took away his paper that he was playing with when he should have been listening to the teacher or whatever it was. So they pulled me out of that and I didn't have to work with the boys anymore, but it was like just very different expectations on like what the behavior is and like what the normal, what the outcome should be between the genders. Yeah. Interesting. Ms. V, do you have any more questions on the teaching end? No, I was going to say just, I'm interested in what you're doing now. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Um, Yeah. So like I said, teaching wasn't my thing, but I found it. So when I was using that year to transition, I was learning all about copywriting. So I initially started a copywriting business. So I was writing website copy, sales pages, emails, and that has also morphed into the branding side of businesses. So I'm now doing a lot of brand strategy, brand messaging, and kind of narrowed my focus a little bit more. But supporting female entrepreneurs is my passion. Most of my clients now have are in the United States. But I have a few clients that have not been in the United States. But it's not it's a definitely a borderless business in that way because I'm not knocking on any doors around here and offering English writing services. So (laughs) it's definitely like crossing the borders, but it's been really good. It's a lot of work, but I think the teaching definitely equips you for that and prepares you for that. So it's like, it's a lot of work, but it's not exhausting. I remember being coming home from teaching and just like drained. This Mm -hmm. is not draining at all. It's like I wake up and I'm excited to do it and I can't wait to like, what's the next thing and where else could this go? So totally different vibe than from before. Yeah. We always say to our, you know, to our listeners, it can be done. You don't have to stay as a teacher forever. We keep bringing people actually i i got a message from someone and and they said that our podcast is inspiring them because they're burnt out and now they're hearing all these stories about different things to do and whatever so i feel like we're we're actually doing a public service here (laughs) well something that you are you don't think about is 
you and just like you've mentioned a few times here you you can still be teaching in a non-teaching role. I mean, I do think times where I have to explain decomplicated things to our members or anytime I'm in a meeting where there's, I mean, those skills of being a good communicator are so hugely important. And mm -hmm. I think teachers take them for granted. We assume, because while and we work with all communicators, so we think like no one cares that I'm a good talker, but actually a lot of people are not good mm -hmm. at communicating their ideas in an efficient and organized way. And just that little piece alone is so hugely valued in many professions. You know, I, I started, I, I was in advertising for years and I remember I was giving a presentation and the guy pulled me aside and said, you know what you're doing? He said, what you should do is what I do is I, when I'm presenting, I'm teaching them what I know. That's all I'm doing. So it works in corporate, corporate situations too, because these people don't know what you're talking about. So you're teaching them what yeah. it is. Picking up on those subtle clues that people are confused, that you're going too fast, you know, what pieces you need to really emphasize when you're putting together a long email and you know people are not going to read two-thirds of it or skim it and you know how to organize the importance of all that stuff that you do to keep kids engaged is exactly what you have to do in the adult world and maybe more so for adults. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, I also think teaching taught me to be patient or more patient than I was. So I'm now I'm an ADHD coach. So I'm listening a lot and I'm reflecting back and doing all that stuff. And there are times that you want to be like, just spit it out, you know, whatever. But it taught me to be able to have that, you know, like they teach you that, um, what was it, uh, optimal wait time, you know, where you're supposed to you ask a question and you're supposed to count to five or whatever it is. Like, that's just part of my MO at this point because I did it for 14 years. And so it gives, you know, I, I do it and then the client will usually answer their own question. And I'm like, yeah, that's what's supposed to happen here. So yeah. it definitely, <laughs> yeah. it definitely helped with that. So there's so many skills. I think one of the magic things that teachers have too, that we don't realize that we have like a gift is like being like so far ahead in steps like you can see the end goal that you yeah. have mm -hmm. you have the steps to get there you don't have to communicate all of those steps you just know it but it's like you're able to organize and strategize that way and that's a gift not a lot of people can do that yeah, so. yeah. Well, and you're, um, when I was looking at your website and the things that you do, I have, I was an English teacher and mm -hmm. I often felt whenever I would think about leaving the classroom, I always felt like, well, what am I going to do with an English degree? Write a book, you know, and my parents were exactly. graphic artists and they would say, mm -hmm. you know, companies want writers. We have people who write copy like in our company. And I was like, whatever, that's dumb. <laughs> but because that was a, that's a strength of mine writing. And so you just assume, well, that's not a thing people care about. Everybody can, anybody can write copy, but oh no, not anybody, as I'm sure you know, can write copy. And so sometimes I think our strengths, we just assume everyone has those because they come easy to us. So 
yours is interesting as like an English teacher to think like you've now built this profession really around writing, which is something that you often think, oh, I can't make money as a writer, you know? So right. you've, you know, you've, you've used that in the corporate setting where you can make money, which I think right. is really Yeah. And yours is still kind of creative. Cause that was my concern was like, I didn't want to be like a technical writer. You know, I liked the creativity of writing, but I'm not going to like go out and like, you know, write a book, you know? So yours right. is like kind of right in between. You get to be creative, but in a more professional kind of corporate way, I guess. Yeah. And I really leaned into that. Like I've leaned into the branding side so much because it tickles my creativity side. Like there is so much. Um, I mean, I like when I was teaching, I started thinking like, what else could I do? And I did do after I graduated from university, a couple years of interior design school, because I love designing and create being creative. Mm -hmm. So I'm so thankful that I found something that's kind of pulling everything that I've been interested in along the way, but never like pursued full out or did pursue full out, but didn't love it. And now it's just kind of like come together, thankfully. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Jessica, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, but yeah. don't go away. There's more coming. So it is it never time. Ends. It never ends. Like that song that never ends. That, like, uh, you know, it is time for pop quiz where we will ask somewhat of a, I, I always say silly question. And then Miss V always says, well, my question isn't silly. So just a lighthearted question and we will all answer it and probably embarrass ourselves with our answers or at least I tend to. So, okay. So here we go. Um, I'm, I'm going to go first today. Okay. I, I realize you went first last week. I don't know why I remember that shit, but I do. <laughs> okay. <matter> to me. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, okay. So my question is what, and I, I probably will have to explain this a little bit. What's something that you did as a kid that you still wonder, why did I do that? So something like you did and you just look back and go, oh my God, what was I thinking when you were a kid? Fashion stuff is the first thing that pops out. I just like keep thinking of 80s me, like with the bangs, like <laughs> one over one back, the big hair, bright colors. Yeah. 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 There you go. That's, that's, yeah. Just imagine we got married in the 80s. So I had big hair at my wedding. I, I get to look at that big hair all the time in wedding we, pictures. We lived through the 70s. Those were really bad. Oh, no, the 70s were great. Oh, the, the fashions were horrible. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know. Crazy eyes and crazy colors. Oh, yeah. yeah. I would have okay. dug Some that. Some cool uh, design, like interior design, though, in the 70s. That's kind of making a resurgence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mm -hmm. feel right at home. So. Okay. <laughs> the opposite. I have a thing that I didn't do that kind of still haunts me to this day. Okay. So that's fine. Go ahead. When I was, I was maybe like in third grade and we were at Disney world and this little band of, you know, they were in a costume and they played instruments as bands do. They kind of came up. I was like sitting off. I had gotten like a Disney journal or something and I was like sitting writing doing some dorky as a future English teacher would do mm. and they came up to me and my parents maybe were over like looking at a map or something 
and they had a saxophone and they were like, Hey, we were just playing over there and somebody threw a $20 bill and it went down in the saxophone, but our hands are too big. Will you reach in and get it? And I was shy as a child, believe it or not. But also I remember in my head, I was so sure that the joke was that I would put my hand in and then they would blow the saxophone. And I was like, and I just, it was like, I was on to them is what I was thinking. And I refused. Mm. And they just kept like, no, it's going to be okay. Just put it. And I just like, wouldn't do it. I was too shy. I was too afraid. And to this day, I am sure that there was something amazing in that saxophone, like backstage passes or free trip around the world. Like over the years, I've decided it was like, it would have been life changing. They probably would have made me the president of Disney World. That's right. But, oh no, I was too afraid to stick my stew. And who also, who cares if they blew it? it wasn't going to do anything. But in my third grade mind, I was like, nope, this guy wow. was tricking me. And I oh. wouldn't do it. Even my oh. parents were like, do it. And I was like, I just, oh, no, really? And oh wow! To this wow. day, Aww. I always wonder what was. Oh, Miss <laughs> You know what? I've, I've I've got a trumpet that you can use when we when we meet. <laughs> you put your hand in there. Yeah, actually, right. I should Google it because there's probably somebody's story about how they how Disney changed their life by them. <laughs> it's and the guy who's the, I can find the guy who's the president. The guy who's the president of Disney now. Like, yeah. that's how it happened. That's it's how actually, he started. Yeah. Actually, it's actually Ron DeSantis. I was going to say. A young, a young Ron DeSantis. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Well, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, my, my story is that when I was in sixth grade, myself and another kid in my class, we were actually on the radio. This is my, you know, yo miss becoming uh you know, a podcaster early there on. There, there podcaster. was there, exactly there was a uh, there's still is a NPR station called WNYC. It broadcast out of um, downtown Brooklyn, which I grew up in Brooklyn, and they had a show called What's in the News, and they would have kids come on and talk about what's in the news. And then the kids, you know, it was like a school trip. So our whole class got to go and watch them record this and whatever. And then I got to be on, on the radio. So of course our teacher who was really a dork, she like drilled us all week on current events, but of course they like prepped us right before the show. I was like, I just like read, like I memorized the entire cabinet and I did not need to know this, you know, whatever. So anyway, so they're on the show and they're asking questions, blah, 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 you know, and we're answering and whatever. And then it was right before Mother's Day. And they said, what are you going to do for your mother for Mother's Day? And like, I had no intention of really doing anything. Like I was going to make her a card or something. Like I loved my mom, but you know, like, you know, I was a star, like, you know, I was on the one on the radio, like, what are they doing for me? You know? So, but I had to say something because everybody was like, oh, I'm going to get her a present. I'm going to get her flowers. And I was just like, I'm planning on sleeping in. Like, I don't know. You know, I was like 12 or something. So I, but I lied and I said, I'm going to make her breakfast. So the show had been on, it was on live and then it was recorded and it was on a couple of times. So Fast forward to I get home from school, you know, and it's like my mother had listened to the show. Well, Mother's Day comes and my mother's like just sitting there. She goes, 
you said you were going to make me breakfast. And I was like, uh, uh, is I, all just, yours. I was just like, I just kind of said that. And she's like, oh, well, too bad. Like, then you shouldn't have said it. And she <laughs> made me. So my dad fortunately helped me out a little bit. I don't even know if I knew how to use a stove, like, you know, whatever. Like I would have poured some Rice Krispies and been like, here you go, you know, but <laughs> like, my dad helped out and whatever. And we made breakfast, but it was this like cringy thing when I think back, because I knew I was full of shit and she just like nailed me, you know, I was like, she must have been laughing the entire time. Like, I'm going to make her make me breakfast now. And, and she'll that never actually lie again. was her present getting to like stick it to you. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Then they all had to eat it. That's another That's issue. True. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows where my brother was at that point? He was probably stoned in, in his room. Like, I don't even know what was going on, you know? So, Scotty, what's your story? I know what your story is. But... No, you don't. Because, oh, you're not going to tell um, the one that, that I no, thought of? Okay. No, because I'm going to stay away from all my drug stories. It was um, the drug story. Oh, well, I'm not sure which one you're talking about. Okay. But um, when we were kids, we skied a lot. And, and and we did this a number of times. And and we would be sitting on this chairlift. And we're six and seven-year-olds. And they're, we're going up the bunny slope, you know, where all the people who can't ski are underneath this chairlift and we'd sit there and scream dad dad and these guys would look up and crash into people and all that kind of stuff and it was, we thought it was hysterical we just start laughing but you know in retrospect it was pretty mean so. <laughs> in retrospect you would have been in the trial that Gwyneth Paltrow was exactly. just there you go yeah. except you no go. one was going that fast where I was doing it oh yeah that's <laughs> true you know, there was some, snow plowing I was but, gonna say somebody could have died like you know people have crashed into you know Sonny Bono I mean uh, crashed into yeah. a tree and yeah. died someone yeah. could have lost their ability to taste wine <laughs> that's true okay yeah. or well, that's sense like, of smell I mean I don't that's know that's the no, word in the Gwyneth that's, Paltrow trial Yes, yeah. he said he can't taste. He can't taste wine. It was, you know, but that's a real that, tragedy. Yeah, that is okay. All right, Miss <laughs> V, what's your question? So my question is: um, last weekend, it's related to last weekend when we were getting ready in the hotel and getting ready to go for the day, and we were just flipping through cable, and there was a behind the music of New Kids on the Block, and I watched it because I was obsessed with New Kids on the Block when I was little. And my children just were like, it was like I was burning them with hot coals. They thought it was just so painful <laughs> to watch. And so my question is, who is your first celebrity crush? Because mine was Jordan Knight of New Kids on the Block. <laughs> yeah. Are we, I was, like, are we talking like romantic crush or just someone we... I mean, probably not romantic because I was like in okay. fourth or fifth grade, maybe when they were popular, six grade so because 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 i think mine was probably soupy sales no but it no. wasn't romantic no no we're, no that's <laughs> no we're talking if you can't think of one for yourself i can think of one for you i know which, oh. i know i know what yours is so. <laughs> a crush yeah he's like hun, both hun, intrigued hun. and worried <laughs> huh? as far as the female goes the first thing i can think of was honey west okay I, I, I was my first romantic crush, like I was like, oh my god, I would like cry because I was he was so beautiful. Was Keanu Reeves in Speed? Oh my god! Yeah. I used to watch that movie and just like I just couldn't. I was like in eighth grade, maybe something. I couldn't handle it because he was so cute. 
Uh, Jessica, what was yours? Well, I agree with the new kids on the block thing, but I always like, I went through all of them. So like, I loved Donnie for a while, then I loved Joey for a while. So I wasn't faithful to any of them, but I think like my first love, love, like what you were saying with Keanu Reeves was definitely Leonardo DiCaprio in uh, the um Romeo, Romeo and Juliet. Juliet. Oh, yeah. That yeah, I can so see that. Cute. Yeah. 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 So cute. Mine, mine too. <laughs> Even when I would show clips of it as a teacher, like up until last year, I was just like, everyone love. It's Leonardo. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I'm my going... Romeo and Juliet was Olivia Hussey. So there you go. Yeah. 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 No, I showed yeah. clips of that one too. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, for myself, um, and I'm going way back cause we're old people, but it would have been Davy Jones of the monkeys. Absolutely. Who oh, is yeah. dead now. Um, but <laughs> he, he was definitely like, I remember like getting magazines with like posters of him and putting yeah. it on my wall and all that stuff. So he was definitely my first one. Scotty, what I was going to say for you is the woman who was in the Avengers, or cat. Yes, well, she, yeah. Um, I know who? who you're talking about. Yeah, she was. She was. She was good. But, she, I but, think she's been in American Horror. Halle Berry, Catwoman. No, 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 no. no, 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 no. no. The old no. Avengers. Okay. Um, oh, the no. old she, Avengers. She was British. She was very British. She. I think she. Okay. Who was the woman who played in? Okay, we can cut this out if we need to. But in <laughs> Game of Thrones, okay, played the like grandmother. Who ended up eating, drinking poison? I never watched Game of Thrones. I didn't watch it either. I'm sorry. People. I'm afraid to say you that. You know who I'm talking about? Bill? No. Yeah, but I don't know who it was. Okay, because that's who it is. Di- Diana Rigg. Diana Rigg. Hmm. That's it. Yes. And I just looked it up. Diana Rigg. Yeah. No. So. Well, Anne Francis was Honey West, and okay. she was blonde. And yeah. All right. Yeah. Diana Rigg. Yeah. I want to see who Honey West is. Oh, I yeah. Love she that was name. So cute. Oh, yeah. she's gorgeous. There was also many, many boys of uh, my generation, of our generation, were very much in love with Barbara Eden, who played Jeannie, yes. Jeannie on I yes. Dream of Jeannie. Oh, she of wore a little like crop yeah. top and, you know, whatever. And I mean, she, she was. Definitely the thing of uh, boy dreams yeah. when I was. Yes, younger. she was. You know? Yes, she was. <laughs> she, she was a thing. Okay. All right. Well, now that we've all revealed that, you know, our childhoods were ridiculous, as usual. <laughs> uh, Jessica, again, thank you for coming on. And uh, uh, thank and, you. And why don't you tell our listeners, well, we'll have it in the show notes, but what is your website for your, for your business? Yeah, I'm Jessica Graham Brand Studio. Sorry, I forgot my name for a minute. Uh, <laughs> dot com. <laughs> okay. All right. And it'll be in the show notes if you want to yeah, look it up. Thank you. Okay. And um, to our listeners, don't forget to check out Miss V's Substack if she, in fact, ever writes on it again. Her Substack a small called A Small Hiatus. It's called Over Drinks. And it is outstanding <laughs> when she actually does write something for it i feel thoroughly shamed i'll get to it now okay and also thanks to max siskind of max and max in the morning for our intro be sure to check out our new look on facebook thank you to scotty for making us sound fabulous and competent 
And thanks to all of you for listening. If you like what we're doing here on the show, there are two ways you can help. First, spread the word about our show. Tell your friends, enemies, and even your frenemies. Share us on social media with your teacher and non-teacher friends alike. Second, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to podcasts. We're trying to get to 100 subscribers on Spotify, so head over there. And as the kids say, smash that subscribe button. I have to look and see if we got there. I haven't, I haven't looked at it lately. <laughs> we just keep, we just keep saying it. Then we want to get to 150, 200, whatever. <laughs> we would love to hear from you. You can find us all over social media. Our contact information is in the episode notes. And thank you all for listening. And as the weather warms, don't forget to report dress code violations. And remember, putting a countdown until the end of the year on your board is not encouraging to students, even if it's helping you get through every damn day. <laughs> See ya. Bye.